Good morning. It is an absolute delight to be together um, as one body. I get to preach one time today, an absolute thrill. Thank you, Scott, for leading us and for special music, but most importantly, together with one voice. We thank the Lord for the fact that he kept his promise, that he was crucified, but he did not stay dead. He came back to life, which offers you and I life, and life more abundantly. Acts chapter 17 this morning will be our text. Two verses I want to direct your attention to. I will read and then we'll go to the word together in prayer. Acts chapter 17, verse 30 and verse 31. God's word speaks to our hearts with this. The times of ignorance God overlooked. But now he commands all people everywhere to repent. Because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. Would you bow your heads? Pray with me. Father, as we come into your presence, we thank you, Lord, that you are here with us. You hear the groaning of our hearts for renewal, for new life. We thank you, Lord, that there is hope through the work of the Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior, the Messiah. Father, I thank you for every single person that is here. Lord, if it's individuals that have been faithfully attending the big ones for years, or whether or not it's people who have walked through the doors the very first time. We thank you, Lord, that you are a perfect God, although we are so imperfect. We thank you for your perfect and precious word. We ask, Lord, that you would speak to us this morning through it, and that most importantly, you would be glorified. We ask this in strong name of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Today we will get a little bit of a glimpse on what I refer to as the sovereignty of God. The way that we make plans in our life, and to be perfectly honest, a lot of our plans are pathetic. And yet God's plans are absolutely perfect. I remember one particular evening where I made a plan many years ago before my wife and I were married many years before we were even engaged. It was a warm summer night, and we were in love, and we were sitting on a picnic table. The sun had just gone down. Off to my right was a baseball field. Of course. And I remember I was sitting close, and I leaned towards her, and I said, I said, may I kiss you? She said, no, you may not. <laughs> Honestly, she got up and she walked away. I had a plan. 
It was a perfect plan. Since then, I've never asked again. <laughs> Our plans are pathetic. God's plan is perfect. We measure history by major events, important dates and days. You can, you can see yourself where you were sitting when you heard of the event September the 11th, 2001. You can probably remember where, where you were on November the 9th, 1989, when the Berlin Wall fell down. Some of you who are older than I am remember where you were in November on the 22nd, 1963, when JFK was shot. There's dates, December the 7th, 1941, when Pearl Harbor was attacked. There's other dates in our history, moments, marked times, July the 4th, 1776. Art doesn't remember that day. <laughs> we go back, the discovery of the new world. We go back, October the 31st, 1517, when Martin Luther mailed the 95 Theses and, and the Reformation burst forward. There are dates, important dates. The printing press was invented, the signing of the Magna Carta battle case in the of the Roman Empire. The day that Big Woods got to worship together as one body. There's these dates that, that stand before us of great significance, and yet any way you cut it, there is not one date that is even close to the worldwide and eternal significance to the impact of the resurrection of Jesus Christ has had on the entire world. There's no other date that is as significant as that. I've heard Easter described as the triumphant morning of Christianity. And we gather today, this morning, to celebrate that. For it is on that day, this day, that a promise was kept. The earth literally shook. The angel of the Lord descended. The stone was rolled back in the door of the tomb. It says what? That an angel came and sat upon that stone. And when asked the inevitable question, he said this. He said, he's not here. For he is risen. Since then, since that moment... Everything has changed. The resurrected Savior offers life and forgiveness and healing and hope to an absolutely hopeless world. See, that's the difference of Christianity from all other faiths. Living hope, living hope in the midst of hopelessness. I've heard it described that there is an exclusivity to Christianity, and I would have to agree with that statement. You see, there is only one. Jesus Christ is the only one who made a claim that he would die, and that he would come to back to life again. And he's the only one who has kept his words. That would make him exclusive. No one else has made that claim. In all kinds of faiths and religions and belief systems, correct me if I'm wrong, but Muhammad is still dead. And Krishna and Confucius and Buddha and Gandhi and Joseph Smith and Charles Taze Russell, any other person, self-proclaimed priest or so-called prophet who has claimed to have access to the secret of eternal life, 
Apart from Jesus Christ, they're all dead. And they remain dead. Be assured that I do not claim that a miracle simply has happened in word only. We have biblical proof. Eyewitnesses. We have an accurate record that a miracle did happen. Critics today say, well, you Christians are rather presumptuous, aren't you? Can I ask, do any of you recall the declaration of the signing, the, the signing of the Declaration of Independence? Do you, do you remember the Revolutionary War? Were you there? No? Well, how do we know? There, there were eyewitnesses. They saw the blood. They smelled the smoke. And they heard the screams. And they wrote it down. It's recorded historical fact. Not one of us would question it. And yet not one of us were there. Likewise, the resurrected Christ was seen by more than 500 eyewitnesses after he was crucified, after he was buried. They saw him alive. The Apostle Paul, formerly Saul of Tarsus, a contemporary, actually wrote of this event in 1 Corinthians 15. He personally knew many people who saw Christ, and he wrote it down, and he spent his entire life telling other people about it. He went so far as to say, if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching and your faith is in vain. It's empty, it's futile, it's dead, and you're still in your sins. The resurrection, what does that mean? It means the act of returning from death to life is clear. One was dead, now one is alive. That one was Jesus, that one is Jesus. And we say, well, why all the fuss? Why are we still talking about this? He is risen, okay, now what? That's a great question. The Apostle Paul preached a message on this very subject. We looked at it in Acts chapter 17. He said the background, he's in the ancient, amazing city of Athens. Paul is waiting for his co-workers to arrive, and rather than just, just sitting around with his feet up, kicking his feet in the dust, he took a walk to the city of Athens. And what he saw in his culture disturbed him. Just like that which you see in your culture today should equally disturb you. Everywhere he looked, he saw idols and idolatry. Every road seemed to lead to a temple dedicated to another god or goddess. On the street corners, there were graven, carved images of gods and goddesses, even as the chariots rumbled by, engraved and carved in the chariots, were images of these false gods and goddesses, the god of the sun, the god of the stars, the god of the sea. They, they wanted to be so careful that they even, they even dedicated one particular temple and one particular graven image to the unknown gods just to make sure in case they missed one. Now Paul is not your slowly kind of back away from a confrontation, sitting there quietly type of a guy. What he saw disturbed him. It rattled him to the core. And he said, could I have everyone's attention please? Literally, he went into the marketplaces. He went to the synagogues. And he said, I need your attention. Listen to me. He said, you know that temple? You see that idol to the unknown gods? Well, I know him. I know him. His name is Jesus. Acts chapter 17 is an amazing defense of the gospel. 
It says what? That he was preaching Jesus and the resurrection. And he concluded that message. He summarized that entire message with the text that we read this morning. Verses 30 and 31. Which revealed to us two critical implications of the resurrection. The first one is this. Implication number one. Jesus Christ is alive. Jesus Christ rose from the dead. Jesus Christ lives to be your Savior. First and foremost. It says the times of ignorance God overlooked. What is this? This is simply saying that God took into consideration the limitations of their knowledge up to this point. It means that God has been patient until the truth has been heard. Just like some of you. You have no knowledge of who Jesus Christ is. You really don't know what Easter is other than the fact you get some free coffee and donuts. But now at this moment you hear the truth. When Paul preached this message, it had been 2,500 years since God destroyed the entire world through the flood, saving only Noah and his family. Since Paul preached that message, it's been another 2,000 years. That's 4,500 years, and God is still patient until what? Until you hear the truth. When we hear the truth, we are forced to recognize that Jesus Christ is alive for a reason. It continues on. He commands all people. Now he commands all people everywhere to repent. To repent means to turn away, to turn around. To repent means what God is saying, God is declaring through his word that... All people in every place should turn from their sin and from their idolatry. It's time to turn to God this moment, if you've not already, and turn to the Lord Jesus Christ, who lived, died, and rose again. Easter message and you're preaching about repentance, that is so uncool. No, 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 it is so cool. Easter message, and you're talking about sin? That is so unnecessary. No, it's perfectly necessary. That's why God's Word is given to us. Paul's message right here, repent, is strikingly similar to the message of the Lord Jesus Christ Himself. He, he launched His ministry in Matthew chapter 4. It says that Jesus began to preach, saying what? Repent! Turn! For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Knowing the truth that God did not send His Son to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved. There's a message of hope to you this morning. There's a message of hope in the midst of hopelessness. Jesus came so you can turn from your sin. Jesus says you can turn to me. I love how Jesus says, come to me, all of you. You are weary and are burdened. And I will give you rest. Wait, is that, is that desperately needed in today's world? It's, it's not a message that says, you come to me, you take all the worries, all the ugliness that is weighing you down and pushing you down. You've come to me. Turn from your sin to me, Jesus, and I will give you rest. Throughout the entire ministry of Jesus, he looks at what paralyzed man. He looks at the woman caught in sin, and he says, your 
sins are forgiven. The same message goes to you and to me today. Throughout all the pages of Scripture, Prophet Isaiah recorded, I am the Lord your God, the Holy One, your Savior. Your personal. God says, that's who I am to you. The angel announced what in Luke chapter 2? For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. The preacher John the Baptist saw Jesus walking towards him and he said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. The Apostle Paul shouted on more than one occasion if you confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Your sins, your sins are forgiven. Heard a true story about seven people that would come to visit a church that was preaching the gospel. They would come together, walk in, seven of them, they would sit down in church, they'd wait for about ten minutes. And after about ten minutes, they would walk back out again. And this happened week after week after week. Eventually, the pastor caught them at the door, even, even before he preached. He said, I'm sorry, but could I ask, what are you doing here? Why do you come here? You sit for 10 to 15 minutes and then leave. And they say, because we sit here until we hear the words, your sins are forgiven. We don't hear that at our church. And we hear that. That offers hope and encouragement. Pastor encouraged them, you know, you can continue to sit here and learn more. That's the message of hope. Your sins are forgiven. Jesus Christ is alive. He lives to be your Savior. Critical implication number two, Jesus Christ also lives to be your judge. As we get a glimpse of God's perfect sovereignty today, His perfect plan, we see as surely as there was the resurrection of Jesus Christ, as surely as there was the resurrection, there also will be once a day of retribution, a day of judgment. Look at it. It says this. He has fixed a day on which he will judge the world. For more than 2,000 years, people have gathered to celebrate as we do today. We gather to celebrate a resurrected Life, a new life, a big day, a huge day. But what happens, like whatever we touch, we seem to, to muddy it and dirty it. And Easter today has become more about pretty dresses and springtime and maybe chickens and maybe bunnies and, and chocolate and jelly beans which are all wonderful and they are all fun, but it easily becomes a distraction from the purpose of the resurrection, which actually prepares us for the next big day. There's a purpose to this. He has fixed a day in which he will judge the world. A set time. It's written. A set moment, a set day, a fixed day. Understand this. For God's righteousness. For God's wrath. For God's justice. To judge the word is krino. It means to condemn. To punish. To damn. 
to decree, to determine by fire and judgment. He will judge sin as it should be judged. You say, well, it does not have a, a nice pink and yellow Easter feel to it. Well, well actually, it has an amazing, amazing truth. There's great news. Look and see as a result of the hope that comes from the resurrection. We live in a day, I found this, we live in a day of constant warnings. Do with that little, remember, if you're driving late at night, and you're driving, you're driving, and you get a little tired, and sometimes you swerve just up, and you hit that rumble strip, and it kind of like, it kind of wakes you. You do understand that? Now, you, you are automatically faced with a decision. You can, what, because of that warning, you can come back to where you should be. You're thinking, you know what, I really just like the direction I'm going. What's going to happen? Absolute trouble. Same idea applies all the time, all the time in our lives. We have smoke detectors. We have radon detectors. We have carbon monoxide detectors. We have check engine lights. I hate when that check engine light comes on. You can ignore it. You know, I really don't care. And you will run into trouble. Guaranteed. But you can listen to what it says. It's a warning. Get back to where you should, should be. Correct the problem. That's exactly from the day of the resurrection to the day of retribution. There's an amazing time for us to be warned. And that's what we see today as. Acts chapter 17 concludes, He has given assurance to all by raising Him from the dead. As certain as the resurrection of Jesus will also be the judgment of Jesus. You realize what that entails, what occurs? Matthew chapter 12, I tell you in the day of judgment, people will give account, listen to this, of every careless word they speak for by your words you will be justified and by your words you will be condemned. Do you realize as certain as the day that we celebrate, there will be a day where your words will be measured and weighed. Romans chapter 2 says, On that day when according to my gospel, God judges the secrets of men by Christ Jesus. You mean those things that no one else knows about in your own life? Those things that you do in secret and darkness? That's going to be known and revealed? You better believe it. As certain as there is a day of resurrection, there is a day of retribution. It says in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, each one's work, every one of us, our work will become manifest or made known. For the day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test what sort of work every single one of us has done. Now it is so important. It is so important to look at Easter and be grateful for the message that comes. Be grateful for the fact that what? It is amazing. It is a thrilling wonder. The resurrection, but it is also a terrifying warning. May you understand the significance of this day, of this moment. Our plans, my plans, pathetic. God's plans are perfect. 
I trust this morning as you have gathered, as we sing and celebrate, we understand that Jesus Christ rose from the dead for a purpose. He was. He had died for you. He bore the full wrath and weight of our sin upon his shoulders. He was tortured. He was spit at and maligned. And he was buried, but he didn't stay there. And as much as we celebrate the resurrection, we celebrate the hope that is what? Available for you. Available for me. So this morning, understand that Jesus is alive to be your Savior. And Jesus is alive to be your judge. And I would invite you this morning, if you have not already given your life to the Lord Jesus Christ, you do that. It is simple as, Lord, I am yours. Have mercy upon me, a sinner, and I desire to follow you with every bit of my life. We sing. We sing of God's goodness. And we sing of God's grace. And we celebrate His love. May we hold on to that message this morning. Easter 2015. Jesus is alive to be your Savior. Jesus is also alive to be your church. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you for the promise of Scripture, although it is hard truth, it is important, necessary truth. I pray, Lord, right now for people that are in this room that feel the weight and burden of their sin. Father, they would hear in their hearts the words of the Lord Jesus Christ, come to me, all your heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. And we understand that there is forgiveness from our sins regardless of what we have done. There's forgiveness in the work, and death, the burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And we praise you. God, may you now guide us as we go into our community. May we be as equally disturbed by the culture that Paul was and is, and may we speak the truth of the gospel. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.